here as you speak. And Lord, may our hearts be encouraged through, through the reading, the hearing, and the speaking of your word. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word as we read from Psalm 1 and also from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through 46. I hear the word of the Lord as soon as I get my glasses. <laughs> Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish." And in the Gospel of Matthew, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply, and from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yes, thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, the title of today's message is, What Do You Think About the Christ? And you might ask, well, what does that have to do with what's going on in life today and what's happening in my world? You know, what, does, what it has to do with life today in your world is, it, 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 is that you, today you need to understand who is best able to handle the weight of your life. You know, perhaps this article about everyone needing spiritual care during the coronavirus that came out back in September, it will help. It's from NBCnews.com. People in spiritual distress often no longer believe the world is a safe place. They might lose hope and have a difficult time finding meaning and purpose in what's happening to them. For a religious person, that often takes the form of losing faith in a loving and merciful God after witnessing a tragic event. But even those who don't pray to a higher power still usually have some belief in how the world works that gives them a sense of safety and security. Serious illness and tragic events can challenge these anchors and throw a person into turmoil. Well, what, is, what is spiritual distress? Well, it's, it's bearing the weight of life. Think of it as a bridge. You know, weight, weight limit signs are, are posted miles before you get to a bridge. 
You know, if you're in a car, probably you don't notice, but a truck driver better notice because if the sign says 10 ton bridge ahead and you have 40,000 pounds on your truck, well, yeah, do the math. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got uh, 10 tons too many. <laughs> no, so yeah, you better pay attention. Because you know, if, if, if the bridge can't support the weight, it will collapse. Spiritual distress is like that. The question, what do you think about the Christ, is a question about stress handling. Who is able to bear the weight of your life? Are you able? Is it your job, your spouse, your education, your family, a political party, your health? See, we ask all sorts of things and people to bear the weight of our lives. But today, those things are collapsing. Those things are, are collapsing under the weight of a pandemic, under racial disunity, under heated political acrimony. And where's the bridge that can support the weight? Well, our reading suggests that there are three things that answer the question, who do you think, what do you think about the Christ? You have to fill, you have to think, and you have to kneel. Fill, think, and kneel. Fill the hook of the law and the prophets. Look at verse 34 through 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You see, the Pharisees are pulling out the big guns now. You know, first, they sent some, some Herodians and, and, and some young disciples of the Pharisees, and, and they had that political question about taxes, and they, and they got nowhere. Then they sent the Sadducees in, in the chapter, and you see the Sadducees are there because you know, they got this question. They, they wanted to test Jesus on, on marriage and resurrection. And Jesus tells them, you don't know the power of God, nor do you know his word. God is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. And now they whip out the expert in the law, someone who's trained in the matters of the Torah, who's come to test Jesus on the greatest commandment. Out of the 600 plus laws and, and statutes, which one is most important? And Jesus gives him the most basic answer that any Jewish kid would have known. It's Deuteronomy 6.5, the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. You know, the Shema, it was like quoting John 3.16. Every Jewish child and adult started and ended the day quoting this verse. And Jesus threw in Leviticus 19.18, the latter half of, of verse 18 of, of Leviticus 19. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So Jesus said this second command is like the first, meaning that you can't do the one without doing the other. You can't love God and not love your neighbor. See, the first, the first is distinct from the second, but it cannot be divorced from it. First John 4.20 said it this way, 
If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Do you feel the hook? Do you feel the, the, the hook of the law and the prophets? The hook is love. The hook is love. You know, so, so the command is, is to love God. And see, that's not, that's not how people normally think of the commandments. We don't think of them that way. Usually you think of them as do's and don'ts and, and it's impossible to keep. But the hook here, it is to love. And Jesus is saying, you've got to love God. You've got to love God with, with your whole person, your heart, your soul and mind, everything. Love God willfully. Love God powerfully. Love God rationally. And express your love for God in loving your neighbor. So to answer Jesus' question, what do you think about the Christ? You have to fill the hook. Fill the hook at, of the law and the prophets. That hook is love. The second thing is, is to think, think so as to see who Christ is. Look at verse 41 through 44. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. See, in the text, you know, there's that division, but there's not, there, there's not in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the original. And so to put these two ideas together, what you see is that the Pharisees had a problem. The Pharisees had a problem about believing the greatest commandment, but, and they could quote it, liking the power that, that they supposed it had, but they didn't recognize the Lord to whom it referred. See, and they aren't the last ones. They aren't the last ones to use scripture for the power it seems to, to possess without acknowledging the Lord to whom the scripture refers. Charles Marsh, in his book, The Beloved Community, he talks about the civil rights movement and, he, and how it began in, in black churches with the, with the goal of seeing the kingdom of God lived out in what Dr. King called the beloved community. And how, they, how, they, how these young people, the student movement, they understood that the call was to love God. This is what they said in their mission statement. God binds men to himself and man to man, which remains loving and forgiving even in the midst of hostility. See, this was the student nonviolent coordinating committee's mission statement. But... There were other student groups, too, that were popping up at the same, around the same time. They sprang up, but, and they sprang up without faith in Christ. And the Students for a Democratic Society in 1962, speak, seeking to, to reproduce what the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee did, they drafted their own statement. And Marsh gives his rendering, his, his, uh, his, his assessment, his analysis of it. He writes this, he says, the statement... And it's a, really long, it's a really long statement. That's why you know, Jonathan would have appreciated the long quote. But anyway, <laughs> the statement, he said, the statement demythologizes black piety for the consumption of the new left by articulating the modernist conceit that what black people do and say in church cannot possibly be taken seriously. The actions and speech of black Christians must be recast in terms of amenable to enlightened secular interests. Really? 
I believe that the civil rights, it changed things, didn't it? It was, it was, it was, it was the implementation of scripture. See, mind you, this still goes on today. Groups, political activists, they want to use the passion that scripture evokes, but place no faith in it. See, that's, that's, what, that's what that NBC News article was saying, too. But even those who don't pray to a higher power still usually have some belief in how the world works that gives them a sense of safety and security. You see, they want safety, they want security that faith in Christ would normally give, but they don't want Christ. And Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, think. Think, think about the Christ. Whose son is he? He's the anointed one. He's the anointed son of God. Think of how the scripture talks about him. Verse 44 of Matthew 22. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. This is a quote from Psalm 110 verse 1. Jesus calls us to think. How could David call him Lord if he's his son? Furthermore, who is this that Yahweh calls Adonai? Who is this Lord who calls the Lord? You see, Christ is saying, Christ, the Christ, he's far bigger than you think. He's both the son of God who became the son of man so that he could become our savior and our king. He has, he has a much bigger throne than David's. See, and this is what, that's, that's, that's what you need to remember as we think of this pandemic. Christ has a much bigger throne. And when it comes to polarizing and, and the paralyzing, paralyzing politics of the, of the day, Christ has a much bigger throne to whom we owe our full allegiance. From his throne, Christ controls politicians and pandemics. They're both made to serve his purposes. Think in order to see who Christ is. As when you see him, you recognize, you recognize for who he is, then you kneel and surrender your power to the Lord. Look at verse 45 to 46. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. There's an old preacher, would you see, would say, he would say, son, your arms are too short to box with God. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah you, 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 you don't, don't ask Jesus questions. <laughs> you know, it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to come back to hurt you. you know, and, but here's what, here's what happened. You know, when that, that question was meant to, to, bring them, to bring them to their knees. Because when you see Christ for who he is, here's what happens. You find that you have no power. You have no power to stand before him. And, then you, and you miss the, the force of this verse in the NIV because, because of the way, it, the way it renders it. But in the other translations, it renders it not able. Not able. You're without power. And it is that Greek word dunamis. It is, it is that Greek word for power. Not able. There's no power. They're without resources, no ability to stand. You literally experience what Psalm 1-5 says. Therefore, the wicked will not stand. 
in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. And you see, everyone, every one of us wants to be that Psalm 1 man. Who doesn't want prosperity in everything that you do? But none of us have the power to do it. You need a bridge. Christ is that bridge. And see what happens when you kneel, when you kneel, when you've recognized your power, you're shifting the weight from yourself to Christ. Kneeling is when you start right thinking. It's where you you feel the hook of the love for God and the love for, for others. You realize that his power is for you. The whole point of Jesus telling us the great command is to love is, is so that we can see that he is the fulfillment of the greatest command. Because none of us has fulfilled it. And the reason why you feel, think, and kneel is to say, Lord, it's not what I have done, but what you have done for me that relieves this burden, that bears the weight of my life. See, and that's the difference between that's the difference between religions and Christianity. Religions are what you do. It's what you've done. It's how, it's how you perform. Christianity, it's what he's done for you. See, Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of the, of the second command. Jesus showed us his love because he loved God and he loved us. He is the blessed man of Psalm 1 whose delight in the law of the Lord led him to the cross where he died for us, his brothers and sisters. Then our thoughts about Christ begin with these truths about who he is and what he's done on our behalf. The law of God and the gospel of Christ, they both have, they're about the same thing. They're about love. They're about love. And when spiritual distress comes along, Christ is your bridge. He's your bridge who bears the weight. He first loved us so that we could love God. And that overflows into loving others. What do you think about the Christ is answered in the way you treat your neighbors, in the way you love your spouse, in the way you raise your children, in the way you perform your job, in the way you vote on election day. Everything you do is shaped by what you think about the Christ. Because those things, he becomes your ultimate. Those things are not your ultimate. He becomes your ultimate. And our thought about the Christ, our thoughts about Christ are shaped each time we come to the Lord's table where we are reminded he gave his whole person. He gave his whole person. Jesus, and Jesus' delight in the law of the Lord became our salvation where he took on our death in order to give us his life. Brothers and sisters, let's come to the table of our Lord. It's here at the table of the Lord. It is for all who have faith in Jesus.